Hello, listeners. I am so glad that you pushed play today on this bonus episode because it is my most, most favorite one that I have ever done with a co-host. I hope you will listen to the end because it is so packed full of educational, fun, and even juicy information about the solo lifestyle and how I live it and how my friend and colleague, Dr. Peter McGraw, lives it. Oh my God. Among many other things, Dr. McGraw is a behavioral economist and a business school professor at the University of Colorado Boulder. He is also the host of the podcast, Solo, the single person's guide to a remarkable life, and the author of the forthcoming book, Solo, Building a Remarkable Life on Your Own. Dr. Peter McGraw is also a proud bachelor. In this joint episode, we play a game called Truth or Truth and reveal a lot about our philosophies and backgrounds. You will hear the intro to his podcast at the beginning and my outro at the end. We are dropping this on each other's feeds. It's so cool. I'm so excited about this collaboration. Please go check out Peter's website, petermcgraw.org. It is linked in the show notes. Go show him some podcast love. And please let me know what you think of this episode. Enjoy. We're in the Soul Studio. Yes. Janice, you live in Denver. Yes, I do. Actually, not very far from here. I'm in Cheeseman Park. Right on. Yeah, uh, I would have walked here if the weather was better. That's great. <laughs> How could it be that two advocates for singles end up I, in the same city? I know. When I saw you were in Boulder, I was excited. And then when you told me you were here, even better. I know. <laughs> Welcome back. I'm doing a truth or truth episode in the solo studio with a fellow podcaster whom we're going to share this taping on our respective podcast. She's a fellow Denver resident, breakup coach, and host of the Breakup Broken Hearts and Moving On podcast. Welcome, Janice Formicella. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me, Peter. And thank you for having me to your studio. This is really fun. It's lovely in here, isn't it? It is, yes. Great setup, and I like the warm toilet seat as well. Oh yes, I have a I have a Japanese toilet. Anybody who knows my neat freakiness is not surprised by that. And so when I have guests, I warn them, <laughs> and I encourage them to partake if they're inclined. So in truth or truth, we share two questions in advance, and then for the third round is a surprise question. Ooh. Anything you want to say before we jump in? Well, it was exciting to come upon your work and then, yeah, exciting to hear that we live in the same town and also just two like-minded people. I mean, I think sometimes in the solo movement that you kind of think you're the only one. Mm -hmm. And then when you discover other people in the community, it's, yeah, exciting. Yeah. So you sent me an email. Mm -hmm. I think you connected with, by the way, listeners, we have a Instagram account uh, for solo called Unapologetically Unattached. Is that how you found us? Well, first I came upon Bella DePaulo's work Mm -hmm. and then subsequently found you. And then I was trying to network with other single or solo podcasters. And that's how I found you. Yes. Mm -hmm. Or the account rather. Yes. I appreciate reaching out 
And as soon as you reached out, I was like, oh, we need to talk. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And actually, this episode's sort of coming on the heels of an episode about loss. Okay. And a fairly heavy, emotional, but I think helpful episode about grieving, mourning, loss mm -hmm. more generally. And we talked a little bit about how breakups, relationship losses, yeah. create a grieving process, mm -hmm. which is a little bit unlike the loss of other types of relationships, at least due to death, right? So yes. whether it be divorce or breakups, you, I suspect, have this uh, perspective. This is not my first question, but I'm, okay. just, uh, I'm just now... Give it to me. I'm very, I'm very chatty right now. Okay. Is uh, one of the difficult things about breakups is there's the possibility to unbreak up. And that can delay the grieving mm -hmm. or it could alter the grieving. Yes? Yes, for sure. But I'm going to get into this in one of the questions that I happen to know that you're going to ask me. Okay. Mm -hmm. I do think it's very important to be very resolute when you break up on both sides. Let me jump into that first question. Okay. <laughs> so this is certainly in your wheelhouse. What advice do you have for people dealing with breakups? As I said, the previous episodes about loss. Conversely, what are the best practices for breaking up so that you minimize someone else's pain? It's a two-parter. Yeah, thank you. I do get both of these questions a lot. As far as the person who maybe perhaps doesn't want the breakup or is quote unquote being dumped, uh, which I think is a horrible way to put it, but just I know that's part of our vernacular. Yes. I would say it is very, very important as far as going along with the grieving process to accept that it is over rather than staying in the denial stage, hoping that the person will change their mind or trying to convince yourself that it's not really over, maybe continuing to reach out. That just is going to keep the wound wide open. Yes. Whereas if you can accept that it's over, you can start the healing process easier. Yeah. As I like to say, no means no. Yeah. No doesn't mean maybe. I agree. And maybe usually means no too. Maybe means no. <laughs> I think so. When it comes to a romantic relationship and a breakup, I mean, why would you even want to be with someone who considers you to be a maybe? And certainly someone who considers you to be a no. I always like to tell my clients to keep your dignity mm -hmm. at the forefront. And when someone lets you know that they're no longer interested in being with you, that that's the best thing that you can do as far as your self-respect goes. Yes. I am also a very big advocate for what we call the no contact rule. Okay. And if you are feeling hurt or burned by the breakup, I believe that the best thing you can do is to stop engaging with each other for at least a period of time. Mm -hmm. I do work one-on-one -on -one with clients and that's probably been the thing that has made the biggest difference as far as people's recovery goes. I can see that. Mm -hmm. There's research on psychological distance. Yeah. There's these different forms of distance, right? There's social distance. So for example, you are more socially distant to strangers than family members. There is a distance in time. So, you know, a hundred years ago is farther away than yesterday. Indeed. There is physical distance, mm -hmm. right? So the other side of the globe is further away than right here in this room. And then there's there's another form called hypotheticality. Oh, my goodness. How fun to do this with a professor. My God. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Which is that um, things that aren't real are more far away than things that are real oh, in that yes. sense. And one of the findings from the psychological research is that 
things that are distant have less of an emotional effect on us. Yeah. And so not having contact, whether it be, you know, communication in, in person, however it may be, makes that person more distant and thus less emotionally impactful on you. Absolutely. And I also, I like to talk about it as how much space your ex is taking Mm -hmm. up in your day. And so that includes when it comes to the no contact rule, not looking at old text messages, Mm -hmm. which a lot of people do. And it sounds torturous, not looking at old photos and not looking at social media. I consider that to not only be contact, but quite a bit of contact, not to mention the fact that these are typically things that people do on their phone. Mm-hmm. I don't want your ex in your phone. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I look at my phone all the time, a hundred times a day. Yeah. I had a whole I, episode <laughs> on giving up your phone. Oh, okay. I yes. haven't listened to that one, but I think something that takes up so much of your time and is constantly in your hand should not have your ex all over it. Yes. Mm-hmm. So that's, yeah, that's one of my biggest tips. If you are heartbroken to accept it and then yeah, cut it out and do with some cleaning. Yes, definitely. I see. You spend your days helping people uh, yes. work through heartbreak. Mm-hmm. And I think it's so difficult because especially you've built a bond with someone. They're part of your daily habits and rituals. They're part of your lifestyle. They may be part of your friend group. They may yeah. be connected to your family. You've shared these wonderful memories. You may be in love with this person, even though you know that they're not right for you mm-hmm. or they've done something that is so painful that necessitates this breakup or you're in love with them and they're not in love with you. How awful a feeling that Mm -hmm. is. And it's, I think it's very difficult because some of the advice about grieving is how do you maintain some memory, positive memory of this person while also creating that distance and recognizing that there's no going back, that, that life has changed forevermore. Well, I suppose there's a few different things. Also, being part of the solo community does definitely help Uh because (laughs) knowing that you're going to be okay and you didn't want to be on the relationship escalator anyways, (laughs) I I will say has, (laughs) has helped me. I will also say compartmentalizing if you're able to do that. And this might be farther down the line. Mm -hmm. I think trying to maintain the happy memories when you're so heartbroken is maybe not something that you want to to prioritize straight away. Mm -hmm. I think going into any relationship, knowing that it could end is important. I mean, let's just be realistic. Knowing that you will connect with many people over your lifetime and that it's perfectly okay to have happy memories of an Mm -hmm. ex because I think all relationships or many relationships have an expiration date and that that doesn't mean that you didn't learn something or that it wasn't important and valuable, but just that it it came to an end and that's okay. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that. You know, there's this weird dichotomy, which is that most romantic relationships don't work out. True. At a much higher rate than, for example, our friendships. Mm-hmm. And yet the goal is to create a romantic relationship that lasts forever. At least according to the escalator. Yes. And yeah, for some people, that's certainly not how I view it. Yes. But yeah. But but I think the average person yes. <laughs> is really they're suffering because their alternative is that this should go till death do you part. And you know, not terribly realistic, I yeah. think. You um, set up your future based on what based on being with this person. Yes. And that's why a lot of people suffer because the what you thought was your future is is shattered and it's 
ripped from you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and you have to undo a lot of planning and a lot yeah. of things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things I want you to comment on before we turn to the how do you break okay. up in a less heartbreaking way <laughs> is, and I'll speak about two of my breakups. One is relevant to something you already said. In some ways, one of uh, a breakup I had in my late 30s, a very emotionally painful one for both of us, prompted in part because my uh, my lack of desire to have children, led me to the solo movement, at least led me to recognizing my soloness, which was during a moment of heartbreak, having this insight that I'm happy when I'm single, yeah, and that I'm not incomplete. And that this person, while wonderful, wasn't going to solve all my problems, and that the life I was headed back to was a really good life. Totally. Yeah. That was so critical for not just healing my heart in that situation, but for me to be more comfortable moving forward, because I think it could be very, very difficult to, to love again, in part because, you know, every time that you fall in love, you risk this heartbreak. Yeah. And that is a risk. But I think I came into the solo movement in a very similar way, okay. knowing that I will be OK. But also I did take quite a bit of time off of dating. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of like the longer I went, the more I realized how happy I was and that it wasn't something that I even was thinking about or really wanting. And then it was actually during a couple of relationships in the last couple of years where I had this these really beautiful moments of self-reflection where I realized as grateful as I am for the connection and as happy as I am with it and as much as I'm enjoying it, I wasn't walking on cloud nine and saying that I'm happier than I've ever been Mm -hmm. the way that, for instance, my partners were or other people talk about relationships. But for me, that was a really good thing that made me excited about my life. And so then I went to research if other people felt this way and Indeed, many do. (laughs) At least two people in this room do. I like to see it as a different path Mm -hmm. rather than a better place. That's how I view relationships. It's just it's a different path. It's different experiences. It has its goods. It has its bads. But it's no better or worse than my single life. Yeah, and I think also... (laughs) I definitely agree with that. In fact, I will say sometimes I have admitted that I'm happier outside of relationships, Uh but it's also the same with the child free by choice. Yes, I see. Mm -hmm. Yep. I think the other the other thing that came to me from another breakup, I sort of reflect these are kind of the two most painful breakups in my life. This one was in my earlier 30s, and it actually was prompted by infidelity on my partner. And she was, I say the word now, kind. She was kind enough to tell me about it. That was shocking and very hurtful. Wow. And I was doing a lot of sort of bargaining because I had always said that if someone cheated on me, it's done. It's over. Right. And when yeah. she told me that, I said, it's over. And then I was trying to find ways to repair this relationship mm. and was not seeing her trying to do the same. And a friend of mine's stepfather, very wise man, kind man, who I sought out his counsel, hmm said to me, it's kind of matter of factly in a phone call, and it changed my perspective immediately. He said something along the lines of, I don't understand how the person who's supposed to love you the way you love them would ever do something that hurts you so much. Mm-hmm. And that incongruity was really stark to me. And I would realize, oh, yeah, this person can't love me the way 
I think she does mm-hmm. or want her to. And I need to let this go. Yeah. And that was a major shift for me. And I actually did your no contact. I did sort of the ultimate no contact. I had returned a phone call and got her voicemail and said, I think we should take a break from speaking. And we never spoke again. Yeah. The last time I spoke <laughs> with my last partner was the night we broke up. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't think that has to be the case. I actually think sure. that, you know, especially if you practice relationship design, I encourage people to check out that episode. I think it's one of the most important ones I've ever done that you have the possibility with a breakup to redefine a relationship. Yeah, I love that. And I do agree. People are coming to me because they're in pain over mm-hmm. their breakup. And so that's why the co- no contact rule works. Yes, I get that. Yeah. Versus sitting down and you can cry together and you can, I actually had a, a member of the solo community, Monique Murad on and she underwent a divorce where her and her partner decoupled and they are now still friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, they celebrated, they had a celebratory divorce And I think it was like, it's a really wonderful model. I don't think it has to be the case that just because the escalator doesn't work, you have to sever ties. I agree. I just, I think idealizing conscious uncoupling can be a little problematic because we're setting this expectation that that's the most ideal, mature Mm -hmm. way to do it. And for some people, it just doesn't work. But for those it does, great. I've been in polyamorous relationships where, yeah, we redefined things and stayed very good friends. That's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's great. Or you can, you know, shift to another form of relationship and so Mm -hmm. on. I think that's, I think that's exciting, but it takes two very elevated, committed, highly communicative people. Yeah. Usually ones that if they do have a breakup, wouldn't require no contact rule anyways. Precisely. Yeah, Yeah, I agree. So I want you to coach me on the second (laughs) part of this question, Mm -hmm. right? I have an imaginary partner. Mm -hmm. We are very close and I have made the decision that we are to break up. But I still have love in my heart for this person. I want to do as little harm as possible, but I am resolute. Yes. Right. This is not a, um, I need this fixed or something. It's just, we're going to break up, break off this romantic sexual part of our relationship. How should I do it? Well, what you just said, as far as being resolute Mm -hmm. is one of my first tips and that is confidence in your decision. Ah. Make sure before you let this person know that you're a hundred percent about it. And this goes back to what you asked about making it less heartbreaking Mm -hmm. and the fact that you still care about this person. It's really not fair to them if you're on on the fence about it. Okay. So the next one would be clarity. Make sure you let them know exactly what it is that you want now. Mm -hmm. Do you intend to stay friends? I don't think that often happens, but as we said, it sometimes does. It would sometimes for me, certainly. I would hope so for me. And so in that case, be really clear about that. If you don't want to have contact, be really clear about that. Mm -hmm. And then the third one, be concise. So we have clarity, confidence, and concise. Let them know. Don't drag it out. Okay. Yeah. Nobody wants someone to sit there and tell them all of the reasons why they don't want to be with them. Yes. So just get to the point. Keep it short, I think, is is often the best way to do it. This might not be as possible if, you know, it's a divorce or you have children or you've been together for 10 years. Or you're living but, together, for example. Yeah, that, yes. that's great. And, that, yeah. and then another point I would say just in general be very cautious before moving in with someone. But yes, I know a lot of people love that. I can't imagine personally. But yeah, keep it short and sweet. 
yeah. and let them heal and do your own healing. I mean, being the breaker upper is not a walk in the park. No, it's not. There could be a lot no. of guilt. By the way, Janice, you and I are cut from the same cloth. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm never, I'm never living with anyone, so they never, no one has to ever move their stuff. I can't stuff imagine. Out. Yes, <laughs> I had a therapist, the poet. I've talked about him at length. He really gave me a gift. I had a breakup, so it was actually my girlfriend wanted to move in, and I said I can't do that, mm-hmm. and that prompted because it was, um, it was just such a major break from the escalator, which was what she really, really wanted. Yeah. I sort of realized that as much as I adored her and we had a very healthy, fun relationship, I was not the right man for her. I was disappointing her in that moment. I was going to continue to disappoint her. And the break was necessary for her to go find the right man for her, which I believe that she did. But he said, how are you feeling? And I said, "Uh, I'm really sad and I feel really guilty. Yeah. And he said, why do you feel guilty? You know, the sadness was obvious. Why do you feel guilty? And I said, um, you know, I, I felt like I hurt her. Right. And he said, do you think you did anything wrong? And I said, no, I actually, I think I actually did the right thing. It would have been very easy for me to not honor myself and thus, you know, kind of yeah. lead her on. And he says, then you have nothing to feel guilty about. Mm-hmm. Like, oh. <laughs> you have to do what's right for both of you, it sounds like. And relationships always end because they weren't working in in some way. Mm-hmm. And I also think when it comes to being the breaker upper, when you get to the point in a relationship where you realize it's either not going to work or you need to end it, that's painful. Seriously. Yeah. Let's add a tag to this. I love your three C's, confidence, (laughs) clarity, conciseness. What if you are breaking up because you're angry, you're really hurt, and you want nothing to do with this person anymore? So a slightly different scenario than what we described. Is there any... Anything different about the way you approach it? I mean, in some cases, you might end up having a fight over it, Mm -hmm. but I still think that you can use the three C's. I mean, if you're angry with the person, what better reason to be confident in your decision? I see. And as far as being concise, my last relationship did end in an argument, Mm -hmm. but it was a short one. I see. (laughs) Yeah. And if you're concerned about your safety? I mean, that just depends on the relationship. Okay. I'm not necessarily such an advocate for you must do it in person. Okay. I think that's great if it works for you. But I mean, I did mine over the phone because, mm-hmm. yeah, I was angry and I think he was as well. So I what's see. the point in meeting in person? Okay. Yeah. Let's move on. Okay. What do you got? I was really excited to speak to you about my first question because of your background in academia, mm-hmm. and that is about conditioning. Yes. I believe that so many people get caught up with being single in their 30s and, quote, saying that all their friends are in relationships, and I believe that a lot of people are so desperate for partnership, and particularly marriage, because of society and pop culture and the media. And I'm also very interested in how this relates to singleism. Mm -hmm. So can you tell, especially my listeners, how conditioning plays a role in our desire for relationship and the relationship escalator, especially? Okay. I want your help with this one. Oh, okay. Because I want to hear your, your thoughts and your perspective on this. So let's start... How do I not eat up 45 minutes on this question? Oh, dear. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> well, it can be an episode uh, in the future. Let's uh, let's start with this idea. First of all, to recognize that this particular style of relationship, that the world is built for it. The world is built for two, and it's built for a particular type of two. A couple 
only two people mm-hmm. riding the relationship escalator till death do they part, right? And it is incredibly pervasive, so pervasive that many people never question whether it's right for them. And what they end up doing, I have a feeling you might be one of these people. I have certainly been one of these people. I call them singles by mismatch. Okay. Singles by mismatch is, is the word I use. That they would like a relationship, but they keep kind of banging their head against the wall, dating people who want the escalator. I mean, I was for a while. I'm not anymore, but yes. that would, yeah, my previous self. But it's very easy to believe that there's something wrong with you rather than believing that there's something wrong with the escalator. Right. Why? Well, your parents probably rode the escalator to varying degrees of success. <laughs> right. Your grandparents certainly did. Yes. Their grandparents did. All your friends' parents did. Your friends often are. So you look around, especially once you hit a certain age, and everybody is sort of coupling up and settling down. And they're doing so in almost exactly the same way. Right. So, the you know, the the steps of the escalator are really well known. You start flirting, you go out on a date, you start fooling around. At some point, you define the relationship. It becomes monogamous, becomes an exclusive. You meet friends, you meet family, Mm -hmm. you move in with one another. Perhaps you get married, you um, merge your life in all these other ways, your finances, for example, your lifestyle. That's Mm -hmm. right. You start vacationing together and that other person becomes your everything. And the standards for that person have just been going through the roof in the last 60 years. That person is not just your everything. They're also your most important, at least adult relationship in your life, crowding out nearly everyone and giving them sometimes wide ranging veto power over how you live, who you spend time with and so on. Mm -hmm. And so this is tremendously satisfying for a lot of people also you know, to be clear, it serves a lot of like practical purposes. For example, merging, you now get to split your rent. Yes. And that is, I think, a big problem. I mean, how much more do single people spend? Like 30% or something? Yeah. They spend more on their housing, <laughs> right. for example, and, mm-hmm. and so on. And the world's built for two. So for example, Hotels. hotel rooms are priced by the room, not by the person, <laughs> for example. Yeah. I recently was thinking of going on a retreat and they said something about a discount for couples. Like, what the hell? Why? Right. Right. And so how do you learn about this? Well, you learn about it because it's being modeled all around you. Oh, one other thing. (laughs) There's over a thousand legal benefits bestowed upon couples, right? So you get tax breaks, there's social security benefits, the list goes on and on and on. And so I remember I came across a, a dating profile that says, I'm ready to couple up. It just makes financial sense. <laughs> I appreciate the forthrightness. <laughs> and so, you know, so again, the world is built um, in that way. Also, moreover, like you have someone who can help with your healthcare decisions, right? So there's all these other things that go into it. Plus, you're a single 30 something. Your friends who are coupling up, they have dinner parties. Do you think you get invited to all the dinner parties? Mm. Not always, right? Because um, some people just don't like odd numbers. Yeah. And um, I mean, and who, you know, who's excited about having this vivacious, wonderful single woman showing up <laughs> at the dinner party talking about her exciting life? <laughs> right. Right. You know, this is this can be rather threatening to <laughs> some people. Yep. Oh, and we haven't even gotten to the media stuff. Right. Uh-huh. Right. Which is that 
I mean, the training around this model starts very young. I mean, I think there have been some strides, but, you know, a lot of the early Disney movies, yep. the princess movies, there's just a lot of, it's in our literature, Great Gatsby, you know, um, Jane Austen novels, the movies we watch, The Notebook, every rom-com is built upon the challenges of riding the escalator. And not to mention very much a love at first sight scenario when two people meet mm -hmm. and just instantly hit it off and decide they must become a couple. Yes. <laughs> I always joke that um, even though even the rom-coms that don't have that love at first sight, like the when, when Harry Met Sally. Oh, yeah. Kind of thing, I always joke that the sequel to When Harry Met Sally was when Sally divorces Harry. <laughs> yeah, I think that you're right. Uh, I think that that relationship was, yeah, pr probably fraught with some, <laughs> some problems. I mean, do you, yeah, do you think those two stay together for 30 <laughs> years? Totally. I just ha I find that impossible. <laughs> yes. Mm, right? Yeah, I think they were two alike personally. But yes. yeah. Mm. You know, even... Um, Movie adaptations. So a really wonderful, entertaining movie is Breakfast at Tiffany's mm -hmm. with Audrey Hepburn. Audrey Hepburn, yes. a very stylish, <laughs> charming. She plays Holly Golightly. Kind of light sugar baby. Yeah. You know, there. Yeah, for sure. More power to her. Yeah. <laughs> and then she meets this like charming, handsome um, writer who's sort of a light sugar baby. Mm -hmm. And they they connect in the movie. Spoiler alert. <laughs> they end up together. But that wasn't the case in the novel. Right. Because she has this prince. Oh, so true. Right. Yeah. Who was mm -hmm. very wealthy and mm -hmm. could support her lifestyle. And that's clearly what she was looking for all along. So they changed the story. That's one of the things that's like really annoys me mm -hmm. about that, about that movie. Because it's what people want to see and also what people expect to see. Yes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's why, for example, Casablanca is one of my favorite films. Yeah. It's beautifully written. And if you think about it, it's a soul. It's a story of a solo. Mm -hmm. Rick. Yeah, very much so. And also the reality that just because you have feelings for someone doesn't mean that it's going to work out to be together. Yes. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the, the famous line yeah. in Casablanca is this is the beginning mm -hmm. of a beautiful friendship. Yeah. Right. Because Rick lets his love interest go off to America mm -hmm. with her husband. He does not break up this marriage. Yeah. Really wonderful film. I wish there were more like that in that way. I'm curious what prompted this question. And, oh, I, okay. and I want you to fill in what have I missed from my very long list of pressures? What prompted this question? Well, because I have a lot of my clients telling me that now that they're in their 30s, they're starting to feel so horrible and so self-conscious and kind of as though they're failing at life because they aren't there yet. But from what I can see, they have very good lives and so much to offer. And I don't feel like this needs to keep somebody held back or thinking any less of themselves. No way. But I do think that it's conditioning that makes someone believe that you get to a certain point in life and... You're incomplete because you don't have it. But mm -hmm. I don't think a lot of people think of it in, in these terms and that we've just been conditioned from such a young age. 
And yeah. a lot of people ask me, which I think is one of the worst things you can say to a solo person is the whole, why are you still single? And that's also perpetuating this idea that you're incomplete and that there's something wrong about you. When really, if you can be happy on your own, there's so many possibilities that can open up for you. Amen. Mm. I think there's not enough of a counter conversation mm -hmm. happening. I think there will start to be. We're starting to see songs, for example. Oh, hell yeah, we uh, are. <laughs> I have a, actually have a solo um, playlist. Oh, fantastic. It's, I'll share it. It's very fun. Oh, and cool. um, the number one song on there is one of my favorites, Real Banger, <laughs> Jason Drulio, Ride in Solo. I will listen to it so in the good. Uber on my way home. But there's like this very fun song called Paper Mache, Single AF by Miss Evans. There's all these fun ones on there. It Ain't Me, Babe by mm. Bob Dylan. Yeah. <laughs> I put this one on I Touch Myself by <laughs> the Divinals. Absolutely. That's an oldie, but a goodie. <laughs> yeah, it is. And so on and so forth. I Will Survive, Gloria mm. Gaynor, uh, and so on. And so these these are alternative to the typical love song. Mm -hmm. And um, they're celebratory uh, in different kind of ways. I think part of the reason, and this is the thing that came to me, I can't believe I overlooked it because I'm kind of obsessed with, with it, is you hit your 30s and here come the wedding invites. And here comes the stories with people showing off their engagement My rings. brother, yes. And the online, the websites that people are doing now. What, what is that? Yeah, you know, the wedding websites. Oh, where yes. it's I, I don't know. I think we're almost like fetishizing just the process of getting married. Mm -hmm. Where actually studies have shown that a lot of people are let down on their wedding day. And obviously that they don't stay together anyways. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm being so cynical. <laughs> well, right it's, you know, I, it's, there are, there are, there's nothing universal about this experience, mm. I think, even though it's portrayed universally. Yes. Right? So it's always portrayed as positive. Mm -hmm. Occasionally, you'll come across like a failed engagement attempt yeah. on uh, on reels or something like that, mm -hmm. which is just super cringeworthy. <laughs> I know. But, Keep it to yourself, people. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, also there's this feeling of I'm giving, 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 giving to all these married people. Okay. I'm showing up at their weddings. I'm buying their ugly bridesmaids dresses. Yeah. <laughs> We're spending thousands of dollars on bachelor, bachelorette parties. I joke that there's nothing more selfish than a destination wedding. I agree. Yes. And as a single person, you know, moving into a new house or apartment is something that's so important and special. No one bought me anything the last time I moved. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So I say like a destination wedding, your friend decides not only when your vacation is, but I where know. your vacation is going to be. Mm -hmm. And so I think that, you know, you're just getting bombarded by a friend group and it's all well-intentioned. These people are just defaulting into a narrative. They're not going, oh, I'm wondering how this is affecting Janice in her <laughs> pocketbook and the fact that she's probably never going to get married. And so none of this is going to come back to her. Mm -hmm. And so I had Kenneth Lahad on here who talks about these singles, these lifelong singles being exhausted gift givers. Yeah. And I think this skews especially heavy towards women because they're sort of 
a little bit higher expectations. Yes, with the bridesmaid thing. I skipped a lot of this, luckily, because of I think we're perhaps going to talk about how I was raised. And a lot of people were getting married in their very, very early 20s. And I ended up leaving the community during that time. So I didn't get invited to as many. And then once I got a little bit older, I've attracted lots of single friends. Okay. So I personally kind of skipped over this. It's been a few years since anyone I knew got married. Yes. <laughs> so yes, that's just that's just me. Yeah. But I congratulations. Even had a cl- oh, <laughs> thank you. I had a client though just today who said she's in her thirties and just hating the fact that all of her friends are getting married and she's not. Mm-hmm. So I know that it's real. It's yeah. just yes, I've been lucky to avoid it. Anything you want to add to my response to your question? I loved it. I think the only thing I'll add is it should be an entire episode. Singleism, yes. <laughs> yes, I mean, and I think this, again, well-intentioned. Yeah. So, Janice, is there anyone special? Oh, my God. <laughs> Thank you. And asking me if I'm dating or how I'm dating, why I'm not dating. Yeah, all of this. And also people with no prompting by me really encouraging me mm-hmm. to do it when I've just said that I'm fine. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh-huh. <laughs> Are you not listening? <laughs> exactly. It's hard because... This comes up in the solo community a lot. Like, how do you respond to these kinds of questions? And I think it's important. Again, they're often asked by someone who cares about you. I mean, occasionally strangers will do it, which I think is inappropriate. (laughs) I think really the question is, is how much of the lift do you want to do to educate them to do this? And how much of it you just want to. So one one of the things is like the question that came up in the community, which you can sign up for at petermcgraw.org slash solo was... I'm sure the right person will come along. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. Or that I might change my mind. Yes, mm-hmm. that's right. I like to just, you could easily just say, you might be right. You know? Yeah, I suppose it's true. Right. You might be right. <laughs> it's like, what hill do you want to die on? I think uh, to shamelessly uh, self-promote, in the future, you can just hand them my book. Oh, yes, go. I cannot wait. <laughs> oh, I'm so excited and for go, you. Maybe not. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe yes. not. Having some go-to answers is good. I think keeping things light is good. And I mean, confidence is always the key. Yes, indeed. Yeah. That's right. I think people, some people, you know, find it admirable and are so curious because I am so confident and happy about my answer. Yeah, I think that's wonderful. I think this sort of like, hey, I appreciate your concern. Don't worry about me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know? All right. Ooh. Second round. Yay. How do you help your clients deal with loneliness? This is a passion of mine, and it's something that I do a lot of interviews on. It's partially because of my own experience overcoming loneliness, and I'm very extroverted, and I used to kind of obsessively seek people out. Mm -hmm. And once I was able to overcome that and learn to be fine on my own, my world just opened up like crazy. So I love to help people, especially who are just now going through a breakup, to also find this sense of of freedom, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And also it comes up in my coaching all of the time. Okay. I see people making really poor decisions because they don't want to be lonely. They don't want to be alone. They just want someone around. And so they're not as likely to look at potential red flags in someone they're dating. So the classic rebound. Classic rebound and also using a relationship as a band-aid rather than just getting to know yourself. And so I get to work with clients on this quite a bit. And I have several things that I do. First of all, routines are really useful when you're struggling with loneliness. And that is because 
the unpredictability of your day is so much more intense when it's just you. Mm-hmm. When you're in partnership, you know when you're going to talk to the person, you know that you're going to be texting, you know that perhaps on the weekends or in the evenings you're going to see them and make plans together. And so to have that all kind of taken away from you, it's it's confronting. People don't want to deal with it either. Yeah. And so morning routines, evening routines, perhaps picking up extra fitness, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. And then... Similarly to that, it's planning ahead for the times in your week when you know there's going to be lots of white space. I see. So the weekends being classic example, Sundays especially. Okay. No, yeah. a lot of people struggle on Sundays because that might be the time where a lot of people do errands with their partner, Netflix and chill, don't really have as many plans. Yes. And so always planning out how your weekend or evening is going to go. I'm a really big proponent of the sexy solo date. Okay. Tell me more. Just planning something special that's just for you. Okay. I was living in Bali about five years ago, completely by myself for months, waiting for a visa to be approved. Mm -hmm. And this is partially when I started to take on this journey of overcoming loneliness because I was alone and I had just gotten out of a period in my life where I barely ever had a night when I wasn't doing something with my friends. And I started the sexy solo date. I would get dressed up. I would plan things ahead of time. I would look forward to it. Uh And ultimately, I started kind of doing that nightly. And it helped a lot. And what I want people to realize is the more that you can do this and the better you can get at it, your confidence skyrockets. More people want to be around you. I know that perhaps not all of your listeners are looking to date. But for those who are, when you're confident, you you draw people in. And yes. You draw healthy people who are also confident in. Absolutely. I love the sexy solo date idea. It reminds me of another episode that I'm quite fond of about flaneuring. Oh, I don't know this. To be a flaneur. <laughs> and I think um, being a flaneur in life in general is an appealing thing. So a flaneur was a... So in 18th century France, it was like a man about town. So he was usually of some means. Of course, you don't have to be a man to flaneur present day, but he would dress up and he would walk the streets of Paris and um, just let his, his path be guided by whatever felt right at the moment. You know, it would engage with people, but it was a solitary endeavor. You don't flaneur with someone else because you now you're at their whims. Yeah, doing it for you. Yes. And you can imagine sort of a, more of a flanoring uh, mindset more generally, which is to allow yourself to follow paths in life that feel right for you. Yes. And, and so I on. like what you said about getting dressed up. Yes. I am a huge lover of clothes and hair and fashion and hygiene. <laughs> for lack of a better term. I can attest to her hygiene. <laughs> and I mean, for instance, I still, this is very personal, but I still shave my legs every day, even when I am not in a relationship. I see. Just because it feels good. Yeah. I'm doing it for me. That's wonderful. Mm-hmm. I think that's important. I do like this idea of that even when you're alone, you take care of yourself. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, you look in the mirror and you can feel good about yourself. And I think you sort of feel prepared for the day, even if you're staying at home. Yeah. Strutting down the street, feeling your best is such a good feeling. And again, this is confidence snowballing on each other. The more that you do that just for you, and also the more magnetic you become. Mm -hmm. I think that 
one of the things that you said is this, I'm um, having a routine. Yeah. And I realize it's really counterintuitive, especially if, you're, if someone's coming out of a relationship and they suddenly have a lot of me time. They have a lot of alone time. They may not at first view the opportunities in that. Oh, God, of course not. That's how I'm making a living as a breakup <laughs> coach. <laughs> right. Right. If everybody thought like us, you would, you'd be working somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. So how do you communicate these benefits of solitude? to someone? Well, first of all, a lot of people struggle after a breakup, either first thing in the morning or in the evenings. Mm -hmm. And this is partially why I do it. And I'm actually able to often convey the importance of it to people. Mm -hmm. I mean, keep in mind, people who are listening to my podcast and coming to me are really feeling stuck and not knowing where to turn. And also if you, if people don't think in routines, especially the way I do, perhaps you as well. It can really be exciting to talk about how to add things into your life that make you feel like a VIP from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed. Mm-hmm. And I've actually generally see people get very enthusiastic about that. Yeah, I could see that. I like to talk about how singles have optionality, Yeah, which is the ability but not requirement to make a choice and how exciting that can be. Um, We had a recent episode where I was saying, you know, there are weekends that are completely open. I mean, I have my rituals and routines like you do, but technically they're completely open. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes Mm -hmm. because I plan it and sometimes through happenstance, especially if someone cancels or something like that. And I I sometimes say to myself, I could do anything I want. Mm -hmm. And how exciting that (laughs) is. And even if I don't do anything different... Knowing that that's an option, I think, can be really exciting um, and really sort of uplifting rather than what can happen with a traditional escalator is that you got to adapt to what your partner wants. Yes, you, you check know. in even about what to watch. Yes, that's what, right. Where to go to eat. What to wear. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. You know. What to wear. My God, who are, is having these relationships <laughs> where you have to ask what well, to wear? Well, I mean, look, I know what you're saying. There are but, relationships yes. where one partner dresses the other. Right. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, so. Uh, I mean, to each their own, right? Yes, right. <laughs> and so I think like recognizing the opportunity to um, lean into a friendship, to if you want to donate your time, if you yeah. want to start a new craft project, mm-hmm. if you want to rearrange your apartment, if you want to go on a road trip, you know, yes. these are kind of very exciting things um, yep. that I think are not intuitive. I mean, I think about how I, as like, the quintessential solo sometimes feel like I don't take enough advantage of my Yeah, soloness. totally. And I think more travel, Peter. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I am, um, you're going to love this. I am planning a Hunter S. Thompson inspired oh my God. road trip <laughs> down to Tucson and back. Oh, that's so interesting that you're saying that because one of the things that I most like to do being single is I go to Tombstone, Arizona okay. for my birthday and Christmas. Why? Because I love it. Uh-huh. And I love <laughs> things that are related to the Wild West. Yes. And the first time I went there, I just felt a different energy and just couldn't get enough of it. Ooh. I've never hardly even met anyone who would spend so much time in Tombstone as me. I'm, I mean that. And so I think that it's great that I get to do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to add that as a possible stop. Because I want to go to weird places. I want to go to small towns. I don't want to just hit the big stuff on the way. Yeah. So Tombstone is a little further 
farther. It's a little further than Tucson, okay. about an hour, hour and a half. Yeah. It is, I, I definitely recommend it. And then a little farther down from that, Bisbee. Yes, that's yes. on my list. Mm-hmm. Yes. Thank you. You're very welcome. So let's get into my question. I'm excited to ask you this because of the time of year. Mm -hmm. I also think that it will help my listeners when this goes into my feed. And that is both, I guess, navigating the holiday season as a solo and also what you like about the holiday season as a single person. Okay. I like this question. (laughs) And I decided to turn to my solo community. Oh, fantastic. Hi, guys. (laughs) Because they... They're often more articulate than I am, and they represent diversity of opinions. So I would say that there were were kind of two categories of response. One listener talked about how much she loves, all capital, spending time with family, especially since I'm nowhere near them and the holidays are really my only opportunity to see them. So for me, the biggest benefit is simply being able to accommodate all their schedules and visit when it works for them. Not having to cross-coordinate between them, me, a spouse, spouse's family, etc. Man, everything is just so much more complicated when you're married. Yeah, I like that one. I wasn't expecting that. I know. I thought that was really wonderful because, you know, if you think about it, one of the nice things about being solo is your optionality, right? That you have flexibility. And this is reminiscent of something that um, Mary Delia said in an episode where she um, said like, solos can often be uncomfortable because their life can be so comfortable otherwise. (laughs) So they can show up for other people when they need it. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, we know that that's that singles care, give their elderly parents more often, Yeah, you know, but the idea of like, if you wanted to go volunteer in a war torn country, you can do that as a single person much more easily than if you're married. Like mm-hmm. imagine telling your husband, Hey, I'm going to Ukraine to help with humanitarian efforts. He's going to be <laughs> like, uh, what? Yeah. You know? I mean, it actually did happen. I am divorced. I don't think I, I mentioned that I got married young partially also because of how I was raised. Mm-hmm. And I really actually wanted to go and work in Afghanistan. And there was just no way that it was that would be allowed. Quote yeah. Unquote. Yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. that's right. Mm-hmm. And so I love this idea of like, I've got divorced parents. I can visit mom this day, dad this day. I can see my sister and her kids. It's only one plane ticket. So, and so on. And I, I thought that was really wonderful in part because I don't feel that way. (laughs) Yeah. Like I said, I wouldn't have thought of that one. (laughs) You know, I, um, there have been times where I really resented being single on the holidays where it was just expected that I would cross the country. I would fight the traffic, the weather. I would pay two, three times the amount for a plane ticket mm-hmm. to show up. And as I would joke, all they would have to do is bake a ham. <laughs> yeah, it's a good point. And I, I feel, felt a, largely the same. And then when I decided I wasn't going to do that anymore until I came up with these plans, yes. like Tombstone, it could be lonely for sure. But then I realized just because I'm not going to see my family doesn't mean I can't do something fabulous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Now, of course, I still would see them, but I just would go when the weather's better yeah, and totally. when the tickets are cheaper yep. and when it fits my schedule a little bit mm-hmm. more. I will often travel for Thanksgiving, but I'll usually travel to a place that Americans aren't going. Like Mexico? Yeah, I've, always been, thought- I've been to Ireland oh. uh, in that way. This year I'm doing a road trip. You know, and so that's the Hunter S. Thompson. This will this will have already probably come out after. Um, certainly, will come out after Thanksgiving, but 
I'd like to do a little bit of travel or adventure around Thanksgiving and then Christmas, I just take to myself. Nice. I do my yearly reflection. Yep. I kind of hunker down, do creative work, yeah. um, catch up on some sleep. Mm-hmm. Do you get treats for yourself? Treats? No, not really. Okay. I think I'm pretty regimented. I watch a little bit of basketball, which is something I never do. Okay. But for the most part, it's just a very quiet day. You know, one of the nice things about the holidays is the emails go out, but they don't come back in. <laughs> Heck and yeah. So sometimes I even catch up on a little bit of work. Mm-hmm. And okay. the idea being that I zig when everyone else zags. Yeah. And so that gives me space to take time off in January when everybody else is coming back mm-hmm. to work. For I example. like it. Thank you. A few other notes that people said. A member of the community agrees with me, says you can you can avoid them entirely. No in-laws to navigate, no extended family nonsense. If you do enjoy participating, you can come and go as you wish. Another person says, I think that most of the expectations are removed around the holidays. If I want to travel, I just tell the extended family that I won't be present. I largely don't expect or feel obligated around gifting because everybody knows I just get and do what I prefer anyways. Nice. If I have friends free, we might do a friend's holiday, but it's all very flexible. This was a fun one. Uh, Someone wrote... No questions about who I'm dating and if I still want to get married and why. <laughs> As a dietitian, holidays are filled with my family members expecting me to work for free oh, no. by asking for dietary advice and them <laughs> getting upset because I either politely decline answering or because I give them an answer, but they can't handle the truth. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> another bonus, being able to eat a full meal when you have dietary restrictions mm-hmm. versus another holiday eating only hummus again laughing so nice um, thanks everyone yeah that's great i think it, I, I like that we have a sort of full range from yeah. like the people who are sort of like me and i'm not a grinch i just it just doesn't work for me yeah doesn't uh, do it for you that's right <laughs> yeah all right third round surprise Ooh. questions okay so i have a last minute change to the question <laughs> i was going to ask you and that is um you've alluded to this already you were married very young. Yes. You are an ex-Mormon. Yes, I am. So you were raised in the Mormon church. Yes, very it, devout Mormon family in a very insular community as well. In Utah or elsewhere? <laughs> My family is from Utah. I do have what we call, you know, the pioneer heritage, which okay. is very important to some Mormons. I was raised, though, in a place called Queen Creek, Arizona. Okay. Yes. Not familiar. <laughs> I'm, not, it, I'm not surprised. It, so, is it a Mormon stronghold? Oh, Yeah. Yes, very, very much. When we moved there, it only had about 2,000 people. It's grown like crazy now. But at the time, it was, I don't even know what percentage Mormon, but a lot of Mormons, a lot of people who want to farm and have land and have really big families. I'm the oldest of seven children. Right on. Yep. I'm the only one who's left. It's a big part of, I guess, my life and and my identity. Definitely the best choice I ever made. Hasn't been easy. (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, I think we were sort of talking earlier about you get raised in a world that presents the relationship escalator as uh, the only path to happiness. Mm -hmm. And in the Mormon church, it's not just a path to happiness, but it's a path to heaven. That's right. Yeah. So it gets preached to you. Yeah. It gets modeled to you. And then if you live in, what's the name of the town? Queen Creek, Arizona. Queen Creek, Arizona. (laughs) Everybody else is doing this. Oh, yeah. I can probably think of anybody I knew growing up who was over 30 single. Mm -hmm. And it was definitely like, oh, that person and what is with them. Yeah, of course. Yeah. 
Yeah. Very much so. So why the break? Like, how did you become who you are now? Were you always like a little different? I was. And especially when it comes to the the idea of being a stay at home mom, mm-hmm. that was something that I definitely noticed about myself was different from the other girls around me. Mm-hmm. I wanted to have a career and travel from such a young age. And while I naturally thought of getting married and figured I would do that. I didn't really think that I was going to be, like I said, a stay at home mom. And that very much set me apart, especially when I was growing up. That was just what you were expected to do. I can also think of one woman in our congregation who worked, who was a working mom. Yeah. And it stands out to me because it was, it was a big deal. And this was not that long ago. Uh, I'm older than you think, but yeah. Um, (laughs) Yes. (laughs) But still not that long ago. Exactly. And I think still today I can think of the Mormon women I know who are really faithful and they're they're stay-at-home moms, which is perfectly fine. I just knew it wasn't for me. And then when I ended up going to BYU... Brigham Young University. Mm -hmm. It was a Provo. Yeah. Well, actually, I went to BYU, Idaho. What? And so, yeah, if you think BYU-Idaho sounds a bit stifling, imagine going to BYU in Rexburg, Idaho. As someone who always, you know, thought of having this worldly life, uh-huh. I had originally wanted to go to school in New York. My parents wouldn't have it. So I went from fantasizing about New York to being in Rexburg, Idaho. And it was a complete disaster. I hated it and uh, ultimately... I was so miserable and so depressed. And just suddenly I had these moments of clarity where somehow I knew that if I left the faith, I would be happier, Okay. which still looking back, I'm not really sure how I got to that point. Certainly where I got the courage, except that I was, I was so unhappy. Yeah. Look, the story is you go to New York city and then you're exposed <laughs> to this wide, beautiful, amazing world of unconventional thinkers and people living their best lives, uh, yeah. many of them single. And you go, Hell yeah. there's no way I'm going back to that. Right. But no, you went to a place that was as Mormon as the place you just came from. Yeah. And just as strict too. I mean, my, I grew up in a really strict household. One of the only things I wanted is to get out of that house and also just kind of be an adult and experience life. And so then when I go to this environment that's just as strict, it was keeping me back. I wasn't feeling like I was living. I knew that that wasn't what young adulthood was meant to be about. Yeah. I, you know, I, I talk about one of the criteria to be a solo is this sense of autonomy and self-sufficiency. Yeah. And if you have a strong sense of autonomy and self-sufficiency, but you're living in a very constrained environment... It creates friction. It did. It really tore me down. I got extremely depressed Mm -hmm. and just to the point where I I dropped out. My parents weren't very happy with me. I moved out of their house and just kind of left the whole thing. And that that was hard, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, having just like absolutely very little resources, no support whatsoever. But like I said, as hard as it was and still is, I, I couldn't imagine... Uh, making any other choice. Yeah. I mean, you seem quite happy to me. So here's my question. Oh, okay. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Which is, um, there may be someone who, um, lives in that kind of environment. They don't have to be Mormon per se, but they live perhaps in a very religious community or they live in a very conservative community. They live in a very, in a country that is really quite constrained and forcing them, um, requiring them to ride the escalator and they're not happy about it, but they don't know anyone else like them. 
but they got on Spotify or or iTunes Hi. or wherever, and they found this podcast, mm-hmm. and they're listening, and they're fantasizing about their solo life, and then they hear about someone like them, you, who did it. What advice do you have for this person who's seeking an escape? Well, first and foremost, it sounds like this person may need a new community. Mm-hmm. And I really want people to know that there are a lot of single people out there. And this is a wonderful country and a wonderful world where people are gathering with so many other like-minded people and rediscovering what it really means to be an adult. And so I would really encourage this person, maybe go on meetup, maybe remove yourself from the community where you are traveling, getting a new apartment, something that allows you to see other opportunities and options as far as who you're spending time with. Mm -hmm. And I think it's time to maybe do new things as, as well. I know, for instance, just going out to eat on your own and getting more comfortable with that can make you, you know, more comfortable with changing, changing your life. Mm-hmm. And I will also say, think really hard about what it is that makes you happy and then go out and create it step by step for sure. This is, perhaps isn't something that's going to happen overnight. In fact, certainly not, mm-hmm. but there's a world of possibility out there for you if you want there to be. Yeah, I think I like this idea of starting small. You don't have to burn it all to the ground and run away and Mm -hmm. start fresh. I like this idea of exploring your soloness and seeing how that feels and gaining confidence. Yeah. And remember that this is about you. It's not about your parents or your family or your community being happy. I mean, we only live this life once. Mm -hmm. And so if you do feel restrained or unhappy, please try a new way of doing things. Because it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. I'll add one if I may. And that is start to build skills that allow you to live on your own. Yeah. I was not self-reliant for many years after leaving the church. I didn't know anything about budgeting. No one had ever encouraged me to do that. Mm -hmm. So after I got divorced, as far as adulting goes, forget about it. Mm -hmm. But that was really a game changer for me is deciding that, I'm not going to look outward for solutions in my life anymore. Mm-hmm. And yes, the more self-reliant you can come become, the sky's the limit. Yeah, I think yeah. that's right. I mean, being able to earn your own money, yeah. not having to rely on a on parents or, or a spouse to mm-hmm. do that, being able to take care of yourself, these kinds of things thus make your ability, should you want to, to leave this uh, community. Oh, I see. You were really talking about someone from a very insular community. Well, I mean, you know, if you think about it, so I'm thinking about Saudi Arabia, for example. You were saying going to a um, restaurant alone. It wasn't that long ago that mm-hmm. single people were not allowed to go out to eat. Yeah. Or women allowed. Right. To drive, drive yes. and so on. Mm-hmm. And so this is, these are, pla- some of these places are so restrictive. Yeah. And your opportunities, you know, it's why the spinsters of the 1700s are so incredible. You know, yeah. they had a way to make their their way in the world without a father or a husband telling them what to do. They should be so celebrated. Yeah. If there's any women listening who are going through this right now, trust me, 
life can be better than you've ever imagined before. I sense an offshoot coaching <laughs> uh, opportunity for Possibly. you, which is mm-hmm. if you want to break up with your religion, call Janice. I mean, please, anybody hit me up, at, you know, even just to connect over this. I mean, this was a major life decision and something, like I said, was really hard. I mean, I still don't talk to my family mm. and it was very painful and scary, Mm -hmm. but I'm still glad that I did it. And I actually run a support slash social network here in Denver for other ex-Mormons because I'm so passionate about helping people to get out and stay out. It's called Thrive. And so leaving, but then loving life. And we do that together by sharing stories and and time and community. How wonderful. That's so generous of Mm -hmm. you. Thank you. All right. You ready? I'm ready. We're going to wrap with this one. Okay. I was curious about this. I know that you have talked about your relationships Mm -hmm. and also because of following your work and listening to the podcast, I know that you're very happy and passionate about your life, but also that I think you're a little extroverted and also that you like having women around. (laughs) So (laughs) what does that look like as a passionately solo person to... I guess, casually date, but also have sex in your life. Okay. Wow. (laughs) I'm (laughs) not expecting that cry. I'm blushing a little bit. (laughs) So I am, I I say that I am a 20% no way and an 80% new way solo. And so for frequent listeners, they know exactly what that means. So I am not, I'm very comfortable turning the spigot off, so to speak, especially because my dating life is not exactly a waterfall mm-hmm. of, um, of dating <laughs> opportunities. Okay. So it's more like a leaky faucet. I feel like, <laughs> Trickle. um, but I, uh, you know, there are times where I am completely free of dating and especially pursuing dating. I would say that I am, I mean, I'm fortunate that uh, what did you say? I have women around? It seems like you do. <laughs> I have. Um, I do have uh, women I date, mm-hmm. and I don't have any serious romantic partner at the moment. Mm-hmm. And I'll be perfectly honest. I'm not optimistic that that's going to happen for me, for two reasons. The first is I'm not gung ho looking for it. Same. And the second one, and and when you're, and I find personally in my dating life. If I'm not the one initiating and I, I don't like the word pursuing, but if I'm not the one trying to make it happen, it doesn't happen for me. Mm-hmm. It's just been my experience. Um, I don't know exactly why. So when I stop trying, the spigot is off. There's no okay. one ever dumps a bucket of water oh. on me, right? You know, mm-hmm. if I can make this metaphor weird. <laughs> <laughs> Go for gold. Um, so... I wouldn't turn that opportunity away, but I just, you know, I'd have to stumble in it. And, and I think that it's a very low probability because first of all, Denver has a nickname, which is called Menver. Right. Right. So there's already a lot of competition Hmm. as a straight man in this town. And I don't want to have children. If you have children, I don't mind, but I'm not going to parent your kids ever. And I'm clear about that. Yeah, same. I don't want to live with a partner. And at this stage in my life, I have like some pretty grave doubts about long-term monogamy. And so any one of those things (laughs) is is a deal breaker, I Mm -hmm. think, for a lot of people because most people want the escalator or something 
close to it and and so on. So I'm fortunate in that I, I don't get lonely. Yes. My life is very full. Yes. I have incredible friendships. I also have learned more than ever to enjoy my solitude. I've become a little bit of a homebody, at least relative to my previous self, going out three, four, five, six nights a week, eating out a lot, uh, so on. I, I like spending my nights alone, um, often doing creative work. It's been incredibly generative for me mm-hmm. and fulfilling. And in many ways, I've, I'm kind of dating this project in a sense, because I, I have a regular job as a professor. That's right. And then on top of it, I'm doing this podcast, I'm doing writing. Yes. And so I'm getting a lot of meaning in my life, meaning that might have occurred as part of a relationship, building something with regard to a relationship. So I don't feel like there's um, something like missing terribly from my life. And then of these so-called women around, I do date. I have had some casual relationships that are wonderful. Like they're just incredible people. They are sort of infrequent, but regular, if that makes sense. Yes, it does. I mean, that's kind of what I go for as well. Mm -hmm. And this came to me during a mushroom trip. I've been seeking in these, I call them dates. I think dates is the right word to create what I call the oasis experience. And the idea is that what I, and I take the lead on this. Okay. You know, let's suppose I'm seeing someone once every two weeks, you know. Perfect. When we see each other, I want that time to be special. So I want to create an oasis for both of us, an escape from reality. You know, it might be two hours, three hours, where we're go- we may be going out doing something fun, going to a burlesque show or something like that. Or if I'm hosting, we're eating good food, we're listening to good music, we're having great conversation. It really feels like... We're both 100% present. We're just sucking the marrow out of life and that the world sort of fades away and our stresses and concerns and, and so on are just seem so distant. And we both leave the oasis feeling refreshed, revived, excited about life, feeling passionate about each other. Mm-hmm. And that it was special. This is one reason why the escalator doesn't work for me is when I spend time with someone I'm seeing, I do want it to be something kind of extraordinary. Yeah. And that's hard to maintain, you know, when you're seeing each other several times. That's right. It's exhausting. (laughs) Yes, that's right. Yeah. And I, I put a lot of thought into these experiences and I'll be honest as the guy who doesn't have women throwing themselves at him, it keeps people coming back. Oh, nice. (laughs) I like the strategy. (laughs) You know, in that sense. And so The last thing that I would say to your question is that I really took a risk when I moved back to Denver from Los Angeles. I was kind of at my wits end with traditional dating and I was unhappy with the dynamic that was happening. I think the women I was going out with weren't happy with me and I wasn't happy with the Mm -hmm. dynamic there. And so that's just dating should be fun. It should be playful. It shouldn't be so disappointing, even though we both recognize that It's hard to make a match. Yes. And what I decided to do was I'm going to be who I am. I'm going to be unapologetic about what I can offer and what I can't offer. And I'm just going to let the chips fall where they may. And if this means that I'm going to live a celibate life and it means that I rarely go out on dates, so be it. At least I'm living my most authentic self. And I think I was surprised 
I mean, some of it is like, I've done a lot of work on myself. I'm kind of a good date mm-hmm. for the right person. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, I'm yeah, kind I do. Of a good date. I feel the same way about myself. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know what I mean? Like, I like conversation. I know how to have yeah. fun. I don't want to just do the regular boring kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I really want to get to know people. And I feel fortunate that someone's going to give me their time to get to know me. Like, that's super yeah. flattering. I that's wanna... what I don't like about online dating and just like kind of cranking it out mm-hmm. is it, yeah, it doesn't feel special to, you know, go on five meet and greets yeah. in a week. I regularly do this. Sometimes I'll, I will actually commit to something that's sort of bigger than the person deserves mm-hmm. in part because I'm like, when I say deserves, I mean, because we don't really know each other. I understand. Because I'm like, <laughs> This will be a fun experience, even if it's the only time I ever see this person. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm lucky that I'm still appealing <laughs> enough that people want to go out with me. By the way, I recognize this. There are a lot of people in the world. There's a lot of men, especially. No one wants to go out with them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, Well, confidence and a little bit of mystery is, yeah. I think, something that you probably bring to And good hygiene. Yeah. And I know how to dress myself. Yes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, those mm-hmm. things happen. The other thing is, and again, this surprised me because I was ready for the well to be dry, mixing my (laughs) metaphors, was people who are dating are so used to being lied to and being misled that, you know, I'm a freak. Like, I engage in relationship design, right? I have these conversations about Mm -hmm. very early on about what I want, what I don't want, what do you want, what do you don't, what don't you want? And I regularly have people, like, <laughs> I had a, a situation recently with a woman I, I've been seeing, and um, she was over, we were sitting on my couch, and I said, so I just want to check in, you know, how are you feeling about things? And she was like, is everything okay? Oh, yeah, uh-huh. And mm-hmm. I said, absolutely, things are great. I'm, you're so wonderful, and I'm so happy you're here, and, I'm, you know, I really enjoy your company. And she didn't understand why I would be doing that when things were good. Mm-hmm. And so I find that even if what's coming out of my mouth isn't 100% what the person wants, at least their primary, they think, well, at least I can trust this guy. Yeah, I love it. You know, mm-hmm. and I think also the average person, yes, there are the people who are like, I want 2.5 kids by this age. I want a house in the suburbs and my lap dog. And, you know, they have this, this view of the thing, but I think a lot of people are like, that would be nice in the same way that I say, oh, that would be nice to, you know, but they're like, in the meantime, this also would be nice. Yeah. I find that they know exactly where to slot me in, so to speak. Yep. And people are doing things a lot differently than some people realize there's more single people than ever. There's more childless by choice Mm -hmm. people than ever. And I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, thank you. <laughs> there's, I think the, the issue is like that um, there's a lot of diversity across people in what yeah. they want. There's this whole world of kink and this lifestyle community that's mm-hmm. um, growing. But also within person, people are increasingly open to possibilities, mm-hmm. right? You know, it's sort of like, well, he seems like a nice man. I know I can trust him. He's going to be honest with me. I could stay home on Friday night waiting for the one. Yeah. Or we could go to the burlesque show and have a get dressed up and have a great time. Mm-hmm. I think it's for some people that's an easy decision. Yes, nice. I love it. Thank you so yeah. much for that. Well, that's a hard you asked me a hard question because well, I Well, you said it was <laughs> a surprise question. It is a surprise. I appreciate <laughs> it. You know, I would say this, like I don't 
I'm sometimes a little reticent to talk about my uh, love life in part because I don't know how relevant it is to the podcast per se. Okay. Um, except when it licenses someone to consider other possibilities. Yeah. And a lot of my listeners are single. Yeah. And so I thought it might be really good for them to hear from someone who's, you know, confident and successful I about that. how they do it. I think it's probably more valuable to your listeners than mine. Okay. Well, sorry, everyone. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, I think, you know, I have a lot of listeners who are no ways and they're, and they're just kind of like, okay, Pete, whatever, you know. Okay. Um, but I, uh, I am happy to model by the way, I'm not embarrassed by what I do. I recognize that it's non-standard. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be indelicate, you know, in the sense that I believe in discretion and so on. But I'm happy for people to hear a different way to go about yes. dating. Mm-hmm. Because most people think of dating as a goal to find something, quote unquote, serious. Yes, And I like to believe that dating can be an end of itself. And not getting attached to any particular outcome other than enjoying spending time with someone. Yeah. And I also feel like I model it too. Even when I'm interested in someone as far as what's going to happen, Mm -hmm. that doesn't even really go through my mind. And therefore, you're often really not let down very often either. Yes. Mm -hmm. Janice, this was very fun. Yeah. Agreed. I appreciate you coming to the solo studio. I appreciate you exposing... (laughs) these solo ideas to your audience. Mm -hmm. I hope they find it valuable for my listeners, especially those who are suffering from a breakup. Where do they find you? My podcast is called breakups, broken hearts and moving on wherever you listen to podcasts. Mm -hmm. And then you can also find me on Instagram. I hang out there a lot and it's just (laughs) Janice Formichella. And I would love to connect with you for sure. In fact, hit me up in the DMS and let me know that you heard this and I'll send you some stickers in the mail. Oh, that's very nice. I don't spend time on social media and, and Janice knows this because she had to email me to get my attention. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was happy to do so. I'm thinking to myself, your podcast was so active. I was thinking there's no way that I'm not going to be able to get in touch with him and that he's not going to want this collaboration. Of so I'm just going to keep trying. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thanks so much. You're so welcome. Cheers. Bye. Thank you for listening to Breakups, Broken Hearts, and Moving On with Janice Formicella. I sincerely hope that you found today's episode inspirational or useful. I would love to support you on your healing journey. All you have to do is send me a message on Instagram at breakupspodcast or email me at breakupspodcast at gmail.com and I will be in touch to get you started. Remember... If you are struggling with a broken heart, your feelings are temporary. I am sending you so much love and luck for the week ahead. You've got this.